Hi! Welcome to the CJOE Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we'll try to diagnose what's wrong with the Jets. I don't know if we have enough time to do that, but Radatesh of The Athletic will join me. Then, meet Regan Hoffley, a Special Olympian, 18 years old, just came back from United Arab Emirates with two gold medals. Incredible story. And we'll talk to the GM and head coach of the Swan Valley Stampeders, the story of the MJHL this season as they begin their first ever Turnbull Cup final Friday against Portage. That's on the podcast. Joined now by Murata Tesh, who covers the Winnipeg Jets for the Athletic. I feel like we've been having this conversation, Murat, about the Jets a lot this year, about how they can't string good games together, and now we have this closed-door meeting after that terrible performance last night. How concerning is this that the team seems to be having, a, I guess, a bit of an identity crisis just a week before the playoffs start? <laughs> yeah, it's a good word for it. I would say that this is absolutely not the time of year that you want to be sort of having a gut-check moment and having guys in the room, having closed-door meetings to, to figure out what's going wrong. Um, the, the Jets have had, I think it's the 17th best record since January 1, the 27th best Corsi, the 28th best expected goals. They flat out, other than the power play and kind of a resurgent Connor Hellebuck, have not been good for a while. And uh, it's definitely a concern for a team that on paper continues to have all the parts that it should need. What's the solution then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... When I look at the the season that the Winnipeg Jets have had, I kind of see it in chapters. And the first bit is is leading up to that game in Finland where, you know, every day in the room, it's uh, let's talk about playoffs. Let's talk about going further than Vegas. Let's talk about going further than the conference finals. And um, I, I think that that sort of correlated with a bit of a, of a hesitant start. Winnipeg won some games, but it wasn't crushing teams out of the gate. Um, by the time that November rolled around, there was some concern. December, they were starting to play their systems actually a, a whole lot better, and things looked good. They were an above-average team by by a lot of the metrics that we would look for. Uh, not quite elite, but above average, good for sure. Uh, and then that sort of combination of Buffett and Ehlers' injury seemed to, to take the air right out. And despite the depth being more than good enough to, to sort of cover for that, uh, and then Morrissey's injury too, I, the the return to that strong systems play forwards coming back hard defensemen are gapping really aggressively hasn't really happened and when it's happened some catastrophic things have happened too like like strange goals against giving up leads say to Minnesota when Winnipeg was up by one minutes to go the first game after the trade deadline that they haven't really been reinforced the few times they have played excellently other than that one time against Nashville. And now it's a matter of convincing themselves the the right way to play, finding their identity again, doing it again, and and powering through even if the results don't come for a while because clearly clearly the results haven't been there. And it's going to take a little bit of time to, to flip that switch if it can be done. The one thing I can't help thinking when I watch the Jets is they kind of look tired. Is this like the lasting impact of that Finland trip all the way back in November? Jeez, I wonder. I, I'd have no way of proving that whatsoever. Um, but it, it's really tough, such a unique experience for a team to go through. Uh, I, I was able to get into a conversation with uh, with Eric Juhacek and one of the Oilers staff uh, about the, the time that they went overseas as well and, and how long that – it, it took to to get people back on a regular sleep schedule and then return to the to the right energy levels and things like this. So I believe it. I, w- I would absolutely believe that that would have some impact on the season. But I, I just don't think that this far after the fact, it would be this significant with 
a team that's so good on paper. And, you know, maybe the one weak spot would be left defense in the top four, which I, I've harped at a little bit. But otherwise, top to bottom, it should be really quite solid, especially when healthy. And the results haven't just been average instead of good. For the last while, they've been bad instead of average. And that's a, that's a concern for sure. I think the infallible play of Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler that a lot of people thought you could just put anybody with them. It seems like the last few weeks they've looked tired, especially Shifley hasn't been producing as well. Is it time to maybe look at breaking them up just to see what could happen? Hard yes, Christian. I think that's that's exactly a good idea. Uh, it's something that we, we haven't seen other than certain injury spells and that Blake Wheeler at center experiment that I, I thought went reasonably well, actually, given the expectations and then the difficulty of the role. Um, I, I think it's ideally it was time a little while back, so you'd have the information and you'd know what you thought of it. But uh, I think it's time to at least look at what the, what Shanks and Wheeler can do apart from each other because it certainly hasn't worked for a little while you would not expect two superstar players to be below 50% in, in shot attempts over the course of a season. Um, they've been outscored 51 to 50, which is fine, but compared to first lines or who you expect to be carrying your team, it's, it's not a good combination. It's not a good look for that duo. And um, I think Paul Maurice has realized it a little bit in terms of calling their minutes back scratching that PK off of them and, and, and using Kevin Hayes and other players a little bit more, you'll see a lot of, of minutes below 20 since the beginning of February, which is which is unheard of earlier in the season. So that helps, but I don't think that's enough. I think that you really need to get a little bit of a different look, whether it's chemistry, exhaustion, or, or just a bit of variety for defenses to look at. And for a coach that is so eager sometimes to get out the blender in Paul Maurice, that's one thing he's been refusing to put in. Yeah, I wonder about that. You know, the decision fatigue that goes into being a head coach, the amount of little micro decisions that you have to make every single day. I mean, for a good long while, Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley are sort of a set it and forget it duo. You just put them together, put whoever you like with them. And whether it's a young Kyle Connor or Nick Ehlers played great with them in December, usually it works. And I mean, it hasn't been the case for long enough since about January 1, I would say. Uh, it hasn't been the case for long enough to be concerned and at that point i think it you know it comes time to try to solve the solution or find a solution with with new methods so let's hypothesize then for a moment if we were to break them up what what could possibly be the combination well the the good news is the winnipeg jets continue to have at least 12 nhl caliber forwards and should on paper be deeper than most opposition line by line down down the roster so uh, I think there's a few different things that you can look at. I, I've, we've got historical evidence that Perot, Shifley, and then one more skilled player um, are a line that can drive possession and generate offense. Blake Wheeler and Brian Little have forever and a day of, of time and experience and chemistry from a, from a few years back that show that they can drive play and, and really control where the game happens and score as well. Um, certainly, they've you know that's a couple of years ago. Maybe Brian Little's ability to dominate a game has has fallen off since then. But the two of them together have been able to do it. Uh, there's a few different combinations to look at. I, I've loved Andrew Kopp as a fourth line center, but it might be time to go back to to Kopp, Lowry, and Tanev, or some version of that. Should Tanev be able to to rejoin the lineup pretty soon? I. That's actually one of the things that, that I think about from time to time is with all these options available, the idea that we don't know what Shifley and Wheeler are on separate lines over the last two seasons is it's a bit of a surprise, and I think that would be incredibly valuable for Palmeries to know by now. 
How have you seen the team be a little different since the return of Dustin Bufflin? What has he changed with him being back in the lineup? Well, I don't think he's quite taken things over yet, but he's certainly a very physical player, and we've seen that already. He's hit people. He's fought people. He's done his thing. He skates aggressively, and uh, he hasn't come in and fixed things, that's for sure. Uh, he and Ben Sherrod ha- have been okay. Bufflin got caught up the ice on, on one play, and then Sherrod uh, got beat very cleanly on the two-on-ones, turned two-on-two that followed it. Um, so there's been... I would never expect one guy to come back in and fix everything, but certainly Dustin Bufflin helps solidify, you know, one more viable pairing. And then Josh Morrissey will do that again. And then most of all, just thing, the, the volume has gone up at practice because Bufflin jokes, he laughs, he, you know, teases people, all that sort of stuff as well. The guy loves to play. And, and that part, um, I think that's meaningful and, and might bring a different look to the, to the Jets attempts to sort of get back into shape here. And I know you were big on Kevin Hayes when that trade was made back in February. What have been your impressions on Hayes as we're just a couple of games from the playoffs? Hey, I, I like it. Um, I, I certainly did appreciate it as a, as a move that would have a meaningful impact as a second-line center. And I think that he's been, as advertised, very big, very strong, very the way that he leaned off as a man to score the overtime winner the other night was was really just uh, just a, a brilliant play from him. I like his passing and his playmaking. Uh, there's some times where you wish he would shoot it a little bit, bit more often, and it almost makes sense maybe for Winnipeg to consider him and Kyle Connor as more of a passing slot on the on the first power play unit and bring Connor as a shooter onto the second unit as well. So I think Kevin Hayes has been exactly as advertised. He absolutely helps and uh, gives Winnipeg one more piece, uh, of which they do have many. And I know that we don't know yet because there, there was no availability today, but let's say Brandon Tanev does have to miss some time. How big an impact is that on this team? Well... That depends uh, very much on your perspective, I would say, because, geez, that guy, he is just a spark plug, just 100 miles an hour, kills penalties, blocks shots, and people do respond to that. You see the the, the guys cheer on the bench and the, the respect that he gets as well. Um, from an analytics perspective, he doesn't really drive play, though. He, he is in the right spot at the right times to take advantage of being alongside really good play drivers like Andrew Kopp or Adam Lauer and some of the other partners that he's had this season. So... In terms of energy and that boost and momentum, if you're into those things, it'll absolutely suck some things out of Winnipeg's uh, roster if Brandon Tanev has to miss time. Um, but I think that the, the Jets are well-equipped to absorb his loss too. Uh, I think Parlind home is a, a really good example of a guy that can come in and kill some penalties and be a bit of sandpaper as well. And then um, the, the look with Matt Hendricks hasn't been uh, pitchfork-worthy thus far either. So, I mean, Winnipeg continues to be a good deep team, even Mason Appleton for the Moose these days. I mean, they have options. And um, I think that that's a place that Winnipeg is prepared to absorb some losses, whereas without two top four pairings, and and that's what I don't think they have right now with with Bufflin just back and Morrissey gone, I, I don't think there are two top four pairings in Winnipeg right now. And I think that's definitely hurting them. Get you out of here on this, Murat. Is it critical that the Jets win the Central, or are they okay even finishing third? Oh, I think that the odds move only a couple of percentage points either way. I think uh, they, they have to win a tough series no matter who they play, whatever slot they fit in, whatever home ice, not home ice, et cetera, all the way through. Uh, it's going to be tough, and I think that the most important thing is that they just find the shape of their game again. Right, Murad, I appreciate your time as always. Thank you very much, Christian. Wow. 
Last night on the show, I talked to Philip Bialk, a special Olympian from Winnipeg who took home a gold and silver in bocce at the World Summer Games in Abu Dhabi last month. And tonight, joined by Regan Hoffley, an 18-year-old with autism who captured gold in the pentathlon and 4 by 100 relay. Regan, did you ever think you'd be coming home with a pair of gold medals? No, I did not. Um, I went there to the unknown, not knowing what I was going to expect. Like It's like that for everyone. You don't know what you're going to expect until you get there and until you compete. When I got the gold, I was beyond happy. But honestly, it wasn't just about the medals. It was about the experience and being there with my amazing team and meeting all the wonderful people that were there. And so you were in pentathlon, the 4x100. So why did you get into pentathlon in the first place? a really long story when I started um, my went to my first games I was a mid-distance runner I started high jumping when I was 13 I wasn't a very good shot putter then when I came back when I was 14 and a half my coach and I kind of decided to start training me for pent because I had the, uh, the right amount of energy and I am really good at my uh, the events so they decided to put me in those events and I've excelled in it how hard is it to do five different things well Actually, sometimes it's depending on the day. If it's really, really hot out, it's a, it's kind of tricky. But if it's the temperature is just right and I have the right amount of energy, it's like a race. Now, you did this event in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. I imagine it was pretty hot. <laughs> it was. But they broke it up on the events. Like, I didn't do it all in one day. I did three events one day and two events the other day. The one I did, uh, the 100-meter dash in the morning, so it wasn't at its, the heat wasn't at its peak, so it was like 22 degrees out. And um, then I did long jump for about an hour later. It was getting warmer, but it was still tolerable. And then I did long uh, shot put later that evening. Then the next morning at 9.30 in the morning, I did high jump. The sun was really hot. I ended up getting sunburned, but it was good. And then I did the 400 meter around 3.30 p.m. that afternoon. And you also did the 4 by 100 relay, and that's obviously a very much a team sport. What was that like yes. to celebrate with your team winning gold there? <laughs> um, we were all happy. We should say most of us teared up. I got really emotional. We went on to that track not knowing. So we were both in Thailand and Australia and Algeria. Thailand and Australia had races, and they had really fast athletes. So we went on to that track not knowing anything. When we crossed the finish line and knew that uh, we had gotten the gold, we were all very ecstatic. So when you came home with your uh, gold medals, what was the reception like? Um, I came home um, down yesterday to my grandparents and my mom and her boyfriend down there. And this past weekend, they threw me a welcome home party. And it was awesome. Did you get to see any of the uh, United Arab Emirates when you were there, do some exploring, some tourism stuff? Yes, um, the first three days, we, they called it Host Town. Everybody was in Dubai for Host Town. We uh, went to an amusement park called Dubai Park the first full day we were in Dubai. And then the next day, we went to visit a school full of children. And then later that evening, we went to a place called Global Parks, and it was a lot of fun. So now that you're back home and it's over, does, does life feel normal again? No, actually, I don't think my life will ever be the same again because I feel like the game changed me in a way and it's made me more confident and more grown-up kind of thing. Are you still in high school? Yes, I'm in grade 12. I'm at the, uh, I attend at Dakota Collegiate. So it's a very interesting time in your life to have such a, a big experience then. Yes, it is. <laughs> 
So I guess you got to focus on uh, getting ready for exams the next month or two. I actually don't take exams. I'm in a special program. Um, it's called the Cold Ed Program. So I don't take exams. I just take little tests. Now, yesterday was uh, Autism Awareness Day. What is yes. that? What is that day like for you? For me, um, it's um, a day about recon- reconciliation. I am I'm an athlete who has autism as, um, as myself, and um, SLC actually sent me a message asking me what I think of autism and to think of a quote. And I said, I think I don't think of autism as a disability. I think of it as a gift. And if I didn't have it, I wouldn't get the chance to be here with all of you. What is the Special Olympics family like? What is it like being a part of that? It's like being part of something you'd never, ever think you'd ever experience. You bond with them. You get to know who they are. You get to do things that you never thought you'd get to do with them. It's honestly, it's like a gift. And not very many people can say they've been to Dubai. And, I, and we, as Team Canada as a whole, can say we've been there. And it was amazing. Well, Regan, I appreciate you sharing your time with me today. and Congratulations again, and good luck as you uh, head into the end of your uh, high school career. Thank you. The Turnbull Cup final begins Friday in Portage between the Terriers and Swan Valley Stampeders, the final of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. It's old hat for the Terriers, who have won the Turnbull Cup in seven of the last 11 seasons. But for the Stamps, this is uncharted territory. Their first ever trip to the final after finishing the regular season with 89 points, which is their second highest total in 20 years in the league. Barry Wolf, in his first year as head coach and GM of the Stamps, joins me now on the CGOB Sports Show. And Barry, what were your expectations coming into this year? Well, we, we didn't really know, you know. Uh, you know, it was kind of an unknown for me, and I didn't know a lot of the players, but uh, we had a good group, you know, that was here when I got here, and I think we added, you know, nine or ten different guys throughout the year to, to make us stronger. And so it's been, you know, been a work in progress, but it's it's coming together nicely. <laughs> Did you expect to reach the Turnbull Cup final in your first year? Well, I mean, I think that's every junior A team's goal is to win the championship, you know, whether – you know, you try and build for that. I mean, some teams have the three-year plan, but, you know, why not try and do it every year? And, like, there's several teams in our league that use Steinbeck and Portage. They're always in the mix. So, um, you know, we just tried to get better every day, and, you know, we're seeing uh, some positive results. Now, you've spent a lot of your career in, in BC. Is there any difference with the style of play in Manitoba to where you were from? Uh, it's a little different game, you know, a little more free open there in, in BC. There's, you know, more skill probably, uh, but more more toughness here, more meat and potatoes and, you know, in your face. And it's definitely a, a harder compete level here in the Manitoba. And so you've got the Portage Terriers. I mean, who else would you face in the Turnbull Cup final? They've been kind of the legacy team of this league for the last decade or so. How have you found the matchups against that team in the games you've played against them this season so far? I think, you know, the games have been real good. There's There's been a couple there that, you know, the ones that they won, um, the one was a little lopsided score, but it was, for us, it was, I think, our 10th game in 14 days or something, so we were kind of beat up. But uh, all the games other than that could have went either way, and, you know, we, we managed to win, win a few of them. So, you know, that's obviously some confidence for us, and, and you know, it's going to be a battle. There's no question about that. 
and this is a team Portage that hasn't lost in the playoffs so far. Do you think it helps you a bit to, to have a bit of a tougher series against Steinbeck? For sure. Uh, you know, there's a, it's a huge learning curve for anyone, you know, in the playoffs. And when you go through without any adversity, sometimes it's, it's not, not as easy to accept that first, you know, loss or a bit of adversity. And, you know, we definitely had adversity in, in the Dolphin series and in Steinbeck. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it was a good learning curve for our guys, and hopefully, you know, we can take take uh, you know that knowledge out of those and uh, move forward and, and help us in the in the finals. This is the twentieth season for the Stampeders, and it's could end up being their most successful season that the club has had. What is the atmosphere like at the games in Swan River? Uh, it's it's unbelievable. You know, the community is has just, you know, gone gone crazy about it. And it's so fun right now to be in town. And, you know, every business has a sign in their window where on the Rita board, go stamps, go. And uh, it's definitely the buzz around town. And it's it's definitely exciting to be part of it. So you finished off Steinbeck on Monday. The Turnbull Cup Series starts on Friday. How have you been treating this week leading into the finals? Well, definitely, you know, the most important thing for us was to try and get some rest. You know, those, the Steinbeck is... It was a bit of a bus ride, and we had some uh, bus troubles going into game six there. So we had a couple long days, and uh, so rest was a priority. And then obviously, uh, you know, preparing for what Portage offers and their strengths and weaknesses, if there's any, and uh, just uh, time it all together and for Friday night in Portage. Tell me about the bus travel. How long is it to get to Portage? Uh, it's about five hours, I think, so... Uh, you know, and all games are single, so it's there and back. So there's definitely, you know, we're going to have to look after our, our rest and make sure we get our, our proper time away, that's for sure. Yeah, just looking it up, this is the the first time this franchise has ever made the Turnbull Cup final. Is there any kind of feeling of, you know, Portage has the more pressure on them to win and we're kind of playing with house money or no? Uh, you know, I don't know about that question. I guess you could look at it that way, but. You know, it's something that's, you know, our guys have, have worked hard and, and deserve. So I think there's a little bit of pressure on, on us as well. Just, uh, you know, just uh, want to win and, you know, be, you don't get this opportunity, with, you know, that often. So it's definitely for our graduating players, it's, you know, I think the pressure is there to win and they want to win, which is, a, you know, obviously a great sign. How much of a, of a thrill is it to be, you know, playing hockey in April with so much on the line? doesn't get any better you know like I, I always told tell our guys and tell everybody I mean playoffs is the best time of year and uh, as you every every round you go it gets gets more competitive and it's more exciting and it's more fans uh, involvement and uh, you know it's just this is why you play the game and it's you know it doesn't get much more exciting than this tell me about some of the studs on your team well, we, we've got a few of them. There's no question. We Josh Tripp, who was the league MVP, and you know Brad Gothels, who was right behind him there in, in points, and uh, you know Brian Harris and Matt Osadic, uh, Quentin Sudam, and uh, Merrick Pipes, our goaltender, has, has stood tall for us. And you know I could go on forever, but there's definitely a we've got a great group here. And coming in as part of your first year, what did you know about this team when you were hired on? Well, I did my homework, you know, and, you know, obviously didn't know a lot, but 
you know, everybody just said how good it was. The board of directors was how good they were and uh, how supportive they are and the corporate support. And, you know, the, the community here is unbelievable. The people here are first class and you couldn't ask for a better situation, really. It's just, uh, you know, there's some towns that are that just clicky, but this town has, um, you know, been rewarding to be here for sure. All right, Barry, well, I appreciate your time tonight. Best of luck coming up in the uh, Turnbull Cup against Portage. Thank you very much. Check out the CJOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. with Christian O'Mell and the Sports Show Podcast. Not available on iTunes, not available on Google Podcasts, not available anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Yes. <laughs>